David Miller, uh, some while back, wrote a devotional in that little devotional guide that some of you uh, may receive at times called The Upper Room. And he told about a summer back in 1948 in York, South Carolina. A young couple, Julian and Olivine, were anxiously awaiting the birth of their first child. Two false alarms had taken them to the hospital already, but this third time was definitely for real. The emergency room served as the delivery room on that hot August day, and Julian's heart raced as his baby boy was born. But just moments later, doctors came to him and said, I am so, so sorry. Your baby boy was born, stillborn. Joy immediately turned to shock and absolute desolation. Julian didn't know how he would break the news to Olivine because she didn't know yet. And then through his tears, he saw a nun pick up his baby boy, take her finger and scoop it into his mouth and clear it out and then start giving his baby boy CPR. Soon after, his baby boy started to cry. Life came back to his lifeless body. Miller wrote in that devotional, that is when I took my first breath in this world. My father's mourning turned to dancing. And he goes on to write, the psalmist understood what my father experienced at my birth. You turned my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing Your praises and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will praise You forever. The world has been shaken, but the grave is still empty. Easter people of God, we gather today in this, around this virtual table and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. And we gather once again to hear His invitation to follow Him into new life. I mean, after all, Jesus Christ our Lord is the firstborn. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. And yet another graveside, death-marked moment, He said to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. The text that Brian read earlier highlights just a few promises and realities of the resurrection of Jesus that you and I can take into the very center of our being and apply in our lives today. The first one is this. You have purpose. Mary Magdalene and the woman the text simply refers to as the other Mary went to the tomb with a purpose in mind. They were going to fulfill a death ritual, or as we may say in some of our cultures, that they were going to take care of the arrangements. They were going to anoint the body with spices. It was the custom for a proper burial. It was a way to treat the body and to honor the dead. But something happened. Something interrupted the death ritual. The earth was shaken. A violent earthquake. And then the angel of the Lord rolled back the stone that had sealed the body of Jesus. The stone that 
had this incredible sense of finality to it. The stone that for a moment said that death had won. The angel rolled back the stone, and then I absolutely love this detail. Matthew says, the angel then went and sat on the stone. Pastor Brian, why does Matthew tell us that? Do we know? Theologians have speculated for years it was either like a touchdown dance or a bat flip after a a baseball player hits a home run. Actually, we don't know why the angel sat on the the, 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 the stone, but I just absolutely love that fact. Anyway, the death ritual was no longer needed. The angel told them that Jesus was alive. And in those moments, the very first moments of their awareness of the resurrection, they received a purpose. I want you to get this. In the moment they received this sense of awareness of the resurrection, they also received marching orders. They they received a new mission and a new purpose. Come and see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples He has risen from the dead, and He is going ahead of you into Galilee. When you follow Jesus into the resurrection, when you say, I want some of that, I want His new life, I want the resurrection for my life, He also gives you marching orders. He gives your life a new meaning and a new purpose. And it is a purpose that pulls you far beyond yourself. You begin to live with this deep sense of mission and purpose from God and a mission and purpose to lift up and to serve others. Part of our struggle, part of the struggle of the human condition is that we tend to turn inward on ourselves. We tend to be self-focused. What do I want? What should I do? What do I need? What can I get? And we don't have to be completely saturated by greed and materialism for us to be self-focused. It can even happen in very subtle ways. We can even serve in the church and do good things, but we can do them so that we get attention rather than serving others and serving God. We explored this last week, but it bears repeating. We find real life. We find life with depth and meaning when we let go of ours when we let go of focusing on ourselves, trying to lift up ourselves, and we serve the Lord, and we serve others. This is when we find God's new purpose for our lives after we have followed Him into the resurrection. Let me say it another way. God did not design us to be self-focused. We don't thrive that way. We thrive when we live, live upward in worship of God and when we live outward in service to each other. And we can call this living simply mission-shaped life. That our life is shaped by the mission that God has for us. This means that we make decisions based on the mission that God has for us. This means that, that we interact with others based on the mission that God has for us. This means that we even take, like we talked about last week, some of our wants and wishes and we submit them to the mission that God has for us. Oswald Gottler and his wife were missionaries to China after World War II. And when the world was still reeling in the aftermath of that great war, he had an opportunity. Gottler, Gottler, they were serving in China after World War II. And later on, decades later, 
he had the opportunity to speak to a theology class at Candler School of Theology at Mercer University. He told the story about how he and his wife were placed under house arrest in China until after the war ended. And then they were finally released. When they were released, someone from the state sent them money so that they could buy plane tickets to come home. It would be the first time that they had been home in years, and they were scheduled to arrive just right at Christmas time. They had to travel overland through India before they could catch a flight. And when they arrived in India, the Gottlers noticed that the city was home to thousands and thousands of Jewish refugees. Refugees from Hitler's concentration camps. After the war, nobody wanted them. So they ended up in India living in warehouses and attics. So it was Christmas, and so the Gottlibs went around. And they went around asking these refugees what they wanted for Christmas. They answered, we're Jewish. We don't celebrate Christmas. He said, I know, but what do you want? And he kept pastoring them. And they kept asking them over and over, what do you want for Christmas? And finally, some of them relented and said, we would love to have some German pastry, the kind they used to enjoy on special days at home in better times. So the Gottliebs cashed in their plane tickets and bought dozens and dozens and dozens of pastries and delivered them to the attics and warehouses, wherever they could find the refugees. At each stop, they wished everyone a Merry Christmas. And then they went back to China. When Gottlieb told the class the story that day at the seminary decades later, one seminarian raised his hand and said, why in the world did you do that? And Gottlieb said, because it was Christmas. The student said, but those people didn't believe in Jesus. To which Gottlieb replied, no, but we do. No. But we do. Don't you wish your heart was captured like that? It can be. As you follow Jesus into the resurrection. A heart that says, yes, I will live for something beyond myself. I will live for something bigger. Something that will not fade away. Can you imagine how much the world has changed because of these two women. These two women, minding the rituals of the day, had their life completely changed. And they told others. They picked up their new purpose. They did what Jesus told them to do. And they told others. The world has been shaken. But the tomb is still empty. Gentle question this morning. What does your mission-shaped life look like? How is the purpose and meaning of the resurrection of Jesus flowing through your life and into the world? The resurrection of Jesus also means that we have this incredible power. This power is from God, and it is expressed deeply in the confidence in the promises of God. Allow your mind to soak in these words for a moment. He is not here He is risen. And and then these four words. He is not here. He is risen. These four words. Just as He said. Come and see. Just as He said. In other words, just as He promised. Just as He told you. You can take 
it to the bank. What He said is true. What He says to your life is true. The resurrection of Jesus, as Brian mentioned earlier, validated the promise that Jesus gave His disciples. He told them He would be raised on the third day. You cannot keep truth locked away in a tomb. God will stay true to His promises in your life and you can trust God's Word to you. This fills us with confidence. And this fills us with spiritual power that God will constantly be working in our lives as we come to Him in faith. The fulfilled promises of our Lord gives us confidence, gives us spiritual power. Theologian Wolfgang Pannenberg grew up in a home that was skeptical of faith, but he converted to Christianity when he considered the witness of the two women at the tomb of the disciple of Jesus. He came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because he said it is the only reasonable explanation for the radical reversal of the first disciples to change from fear to a fearless expression of their faith. In other words, this sense of spiritual power based on the promises of God. Their confidence in the fulfilled promise of the resurrection could only be inspired by resurrection power. Pannenberg said, when you consider the resurrection, you're confronted with two realities. One, this is a most unusual event. And two, if it is true, it must change the way I live. This is a most unusual event. And if it is true, and we proclaim in faith that it is, it must change the way I live. Imagine the impact of God's power on your life. Fear turns to faith and confidence. The weight of sin and guilt is lifted and you are set free. Anger, hatred, and bitterness turns to love. Hostility turns to reconciliation. Self-focus turns to a servant's heart. Chaos, confusion, stress, and anxiety is met with the promise of the deep and abiding peace of our Lord. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and I hope you do, you can claim all of these promises for your life. You can claim them to be true. And it changes the way you live. The world has been shaken, but the grave is still empty. Let me suggest one more reality of the resurrection this morning, and that is that you have hope. Let's not miss the arc of the story of what happened to the women that day. Their day started early in the morning, and it was filled, saturated with grief and the purpose of observing a death ritual. Our text ends with them running from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Afraid yet filled with joy. And they encounter the risen Christ. That is the most magnificent story arc in human history. They ran into Jesus and the text simply says, Jesus greeted them. One word, greetings. This feels a little bit like an understatement, does it not? I mean, you come back from the dead and you run into people you were friends with and you say, greetings? What's up with that? The word for greeting in Greek was definitely used in passing or in the opening of a letter. But it also means to rejoice 
exceedingly. It also means to rejoice exceedingly. That's what Jesus was telling them as they left the graveyard that morning. Rejoice. Rejoice exceedingly. I am alive. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped Him. They worshipped the risen Christ who is alone worthy of our worship. And then they went and tell others. The final word on our life as Christians. And hear this today. The prevailing reality that will be in the room the day that we draw our last breath here on earth will be the reality of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. It will be the prevailing reality of that moment. The hope of the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. Death will not be the final word. Our mourning will turn into dancing. The world has been shaken, but the grave is still empty. Jesus invites us to follow Him into this new life today. This new life of purpose. This new life of spiritual power. And this new life of resurrection hope that death cannot hold back. Almost every week, Alan Mars is behind the camera. Alan has done a great job for us during the pandemic as our media content producer. And simply put, we would not be able to bring the message of Jesus Christ to you without Alan and our audio tech, Michael. Well, this week I invited Alan to step out from behind the camera because Alan has a wonderful story to tell. You see, a few years ago, Alan said yes. He said yes to following Jesus into new life. Take a look at this conversation that we had earlier this week. It's been such a, a joy uh, to watch your faith journey here at OTCC. Uh, you've shared with me before that um, uh, you didn't grow up as a, as a Christian. Uh, let me ask you, um, it's a favorite question I like to ask uh, people who came to Christ a little bit uh, later as an adult. Um, did you see nudges toward faith uh, as you were growing up? Uh, yes, that's something, looking back in retrospect, I, I can see God's work in my life long before I came to Him being in my life. I didn't grow up Christian, but I did grow up with my mom always, you know, sort of wanting me to go to church uh, when I was like eight, like seven, eight years old. She took me to church every Sunday with her. I, you know, I did some stuff in the, in the Sunday school uh, youth group for a little bit of time, but then I stepped away um, and didn't really want to go to church as, you know, a young kid. Uh, and then in high school, again, my mom went to church. She started volunteering. Um, I spent time with her and volunteering within that church as well, but not really, um, like taking the sermon, taking the scriptures and like applying it to my life, but not really getting that full encompassing taking Christ in. Mm -hmm. um, and then same thing in college, I attended church a little bit here and there, but really there was sort of that worldly pull away that I wasn't sure about Christ at that time. And then everything changed when my brother died in 2015. Mm. And that really pulled um, on me, seeing my mom's faith tested during that time period uh, really put me in like a year-long journey to examine my faith, examine what I believe. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, and then ultimately meeting my wife, Andrea, who many of you hopefully know, and joining this church, find, finding that I fell in love with formerly downtown Baptist, now Old Town Community Church, yeah. um, hearing Phil's scriptures and, and sermons and messages and really understanding, you know, this is, this is God, this is who Jesus is in my life and wanting more of that. And ultimately accepting my faith in summer 2016, getting baptized here in the, the baptistry right up there as I'm in the sanctuary <laughs> right now, recording this um, in the fall, just before um, November. And now just being a part of the church and finding my home in the media ministry yeah. here. So tell me, do you tell me what it was like uh, when you came to faith? What I, I know you described that that journey from a big picture, but do you remember uh, any conversations that you had, or was it just one of those things where you know light bulb went off uh, as you you worshipped with Andy and everything? Uh, tell tell me about that a little bit. Um, I think it was always sort of building on top of it itself. I do remember distinctly my mom visiting from Florida um, that period just before I started coming to the church. And we, we went and did a moment of reflection together and just having the conversation in the car that really spoke to me about her faith. And that really sort of gave me a big nudge to start exploring more. Um, but then seeing my wife's faith um, when we were just getting to know each other and seeing her love of Jesus really made me examine it even deeper and realize, yes, this is what I've been wanting in my life. I sort of knew, but didn't know if, if you can get that understanding where it was there, but you didn't know you were missing it until you got it. Yeah. And then just coming here. And the first Sunday I got to come into the church as a guest, as just somebody off the street, if you will, um, with Andrea, but meeting everyone within the church, being welcomed by, by the hooks, Bill and Chris, uh, standing around, greeting everybody, hearing your word, Phil, and just the way that I feel that a message should be conveyed and really looking at how our faiths are, are viewed within this world, but also just the overwhelming grace of Jesus that I knew I needed at that time. And I was glad to be received. Alan. Um, and uh, hey, if this is, if this is, you know, if, if you, you want to take a pass on this question, feel free to, but um, you, you've mentioned before that, that huge moment in your life when, when your brother, when your brother died um, and you became a Christian, not too long after that, how has your faith, helped you navigate the the journey of grief um how how has your faith how have you been able to hang on to the hope of new life and the resurrection of jesus through that that is a good question um it's some it's it's a difficult one um grief is always ongoing i know that that first year after he died it, it, it played hard on me, um, but also the, the trial of finding my faith or at least identifying what my faith is going toward at that time was really helpful in that grief process. And uh, I think just the, the 
knowledge of, you know, as we understand it, life after death, you know, the, the joy of life through Jesus um, beyond the grave. I think once I really accepted that, that has really helped me continue and see the mission in my life and see the joy in the world that we can still overcome many trials and tribulations. And I know that my brother's death, while tragic to me, very, very difficult. There are a lot more things in this world that are uh, more difficult, more trialing for others that I want to be able to have my heart open to see that and help whomever I can through it. Wow. That's powerful, Alan. Um, that's really powerful. Um, let's, let's wrap up with one more question. Um, what would you tell someone who doesn't know Christ um, about Jesus, about how, how he's changed your life? I think for me, Jesus is more than we can comprehend. I, I know in my faith journey, especially early on, or at least at that time when I was sort of trying to pull away, I saw the worldly and not the godly. And there, the sovereignty of God, the grace and love of Jesus for me is far more than what this world has to offer. And that is something that it didn't really click until it did. And I, it's just simply, it's very difficult to elaborate on that for me. And, but that's the best way I can word it, that I've found the joy in my life through Jesus that the blessings through him have continued to abound and that all the struggles in my life have been worth it because of that joy. And I'll, I'll just give a quick aside when right before I got married to Andy, my, my buddy from college, who's not a believer, um, we were driving from one place to another and he said, hey, I, I see a big difference in you since our college time. I see mm -hmm. a joy in you. And he's like, what is that? And I said, that's Christ. That was, that's God working in me, you know, finding my faith and um, sharing that joy with him. And maybe that gives him a little nudge. I don't know. I, have, I haven't seen it fall through yet, but it might be one day soon. And I'll be happy if it did to help him on that way too. Yeah, man, that, that is so awesome. Well, Alan, um, Thank you again on behalf of our congregation for all that you do uh, on the other side of the camera. We're, we're so grateful. We appreciate it. We also will keep praying for you. Um, Alan is looking to make uh, media production in the context of mission and church life uh, a part of his career journey. So we'll always keep uh, praying for that. I am confident, Alan, that God is going to use you in powerful ways. So anyway, blessings and thank you. Thank you, Phil. Alan, thanks again uh, for sharing your story. The promise of the resurrection, the very promise that gave these two women new hope and new power and new purpose, the very same promise that gave Alan new hope and new purpose and new power is a promise for each one of us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't spend another day without him. Tell him in prayer that you want to follow him. If you are a follower of Jesus, ask him to renew your sense of hope and purpose and confidence. The world has been shaken, but the tomb is still empty. Amen.
and amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for the power that raised Jesus from the dead is power that we can have in our lives. So God, we celebrate this morning a living Savior. We celebrate the promise of new life. We celebrate new purpose and meaning that You give to us as we follow You into Your mission. God, we celebrate the power that You give to us because we know and we can lean on and trust that Your promises are true. And oh God, this new hope that is ours. So God, we give You thanks. We honor. We praise. We worship You this day and every day of our lives. Thank You, God, for the gift of new life. In Jesus' name, Amen.